I've been thinking a lot about discovery in our visual world. In 2007, while visiting good friends in Bangkok, they took us to the Jim Thompson Museum and many other destinations. While wandering around, our friends shared with us something called the Lux Guide. The Lux Guide was just delightful. It is well-researched, compact, concise, and really just a hoot to read. There is quite an art to Lux. We've used it in many places. Consequently, I've long been curious about the people behind Lux. It's a wonderful blessing to have Simon Westcott with us today. Simon is CEO of Lux Guide, based in Hong Kong. Simon, tell us how you arrived at Lux and what it means to you. I will. And um, you discovered um, Lux Gym absolutely at its um, kind of ground zero. So Bangkok was the first guide um, published in its first edition 17 years ago. Um, I, I love talking about Lux um, in part because I can't take any credit for um, you know, its, its original conception and founding. Um, I, I bought the business about six years ago um, from the founders, Grant and Jeremy. Um, and yes, you know, Lux at that, at, uh, in, its, in its very first incarnation was um, effectively a typed up list of favorite places that Grant had curated over the course of two years as a trailing spouse in, 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 in Bangkok. Um, enjoying a kind of glorious boredom um, and swanning around the city, um, yeah, discovering silk makers and um, jewelers and other artisans, collecting antique furniture, um, finding, you know, wonderful swanky restaurants and um, tucked away little kind of street food um, vendors. Um, and in, in many ways, the, the, the story of Lux was just the story of his passion for sharing um, these sort of hidden secrets of Bangkok with his friends. Um, fast forward, um, and, and I suppose in parallel, um, I had really from a very early age um, been a passionate traveller. Uh, I had always mixed a kind of adventure travel, a backpacking um, sort of bug with... Uh, an enjoyment of the finer things of life. Um, and I suppose I switched from a, a more general publishing career into travel publishing, um, most notably, probably, I see that's right, no, it was 2001. So um, literally just a, um, a few months uh, before 9-11, uh, which was perhaps the last great shock to, um, to global travel. Uh, I took up the position of publisher at Lonely Planet. Um, before that, I'd, I'd worked, as I say, publishing novels and biographies and histories and um, different kind of uh, general consumer books. But these two passions came together with the opportunity at Lonely Planet at that time in Melbourne, Australia. Um, and I suppose I, you know, over, over the course of a relatively long um, sort of career at Lonely Planet. I left there in 2008, 2009. I, I'd always looked around uh, in, the, in the marketplace and um, been interested in um, some of the smaller operators. Lonely Planet was obviously a, sort of a, a big leader at that time. 
Um, and uh, I can remember the agitation that I felt and some of my colleagues felt when there's this sort of rather sassy, um, rather strangely designed uh, print guide came along called the Lux City Guides. Um, and actually, when I left Lonely Planet in 2008, I, I reached out to the founders um, of, uh, of Lux Guides at that point because I was interested in investing and um, sort of getting on board. Uh, and I, I think they were they were still very much in the throes of building a business. Um, were pleased to meet, were flattered, but um, you know politely refused. And then um, maybe three or four years later, I think life sort of took uh, Grant back to the UK. They, they were obviously in Hong Kong too. Um, and I, I got a call out of the blue saying, you know, I, I know you're sort of set up. Uh, now, because at that point I'd, I'd then made an investment uh, in the boutique hotel uh, website business, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Um, but uh, the, the guys at Lux said, you know, would you like to um, help us find a buyer for, for Lux? And actually, we, we really settled Mr. and Mrs. Smith in Asia Pacific. Um, we were doing well, it was growing. Um, and so I had a little bit of time on my hands. And I said, well, actually, before I help you find a buyer, can I back and look at the business myself again um, and the rest as they say was history I I, um, I I bought the business at the end of 2013 early 2014 uh, and then um, you know was incredibly privileged to to, to, to pick up um, the vision the talent the humor uh, the cleverness and, and, and above all I suppose this that curatorial expertise um, from Grant and his team and uh, effectively take the business forward into a, a more digital incarnation. When talking with someone about Lux, Simon, what does the experience mean, whether it's the atomic or digital version? Look, I, I, at, the, at the heart of it is a, um, a conversation with really trusted friends. Um, so... Lux has always been excellent at finding um, places other people don't find. And that's because we have a network of um, highly sophisticated, um, very experienced curators. We call them resident editors. They live, they live in the cities that they, um, uh, that they curate. And really from the beginning, and I hope, I hope still today, um, the best of Lux is that conversation with with people who are just incredibly plugged in. Um, so, you, you know, I was um, pleased that you, you had also found that experience of, this is a great list. Um, there's, there's lots of really fantastic stuff to do in Bangkok, but it's also really concise. It's to the point, it doesn't waste time. Um, and I think that around that curatorial excellence, um, Lux is also very good at, um, condensing, presenting, filtering, and saying um, it, it's exactly the right balance of um, choice, uh, but, but also, yeah, fi filtering out the faff. Um, I, I think the other thing to say about Lux is that it's eclectic. Um, it's, it's not old school luxury. You know, it's not all doll taps and marble. Um, you know, we love um, smaller places, more boutique places. Sometimes they are decidedly unglamorous, 
but uh, they might involve the perfection of a certain dish, say in Chinese cooking, or they may embody a particular kind of experience. You know, there's a, um, a place we recommend in, in, in Hong Kong. It's in a very residential, very crowded, dense area on Hong Kong Island called North Point. Um, it's in one of the traditional wet markets, which, uh, of course, in um, 2000s means, you know, a big concrete tower fourth floor up a grotty escalator and then you're in the you're in the in, in in the wet market itself and at night when the the wet market stalls are closed this restaurant opens it's sort of like the old school uh, what are called in hong kong dai pai dongs and um, the street the street stalls um but it has the most extraordinary atmosphere um it's a, it's um really excellent seafood uh, and it's just you know it, it is a genuinely kind of boisterous local dining experience Lux has Lux has always been very um, opinionated, unfiltered in the, in that sort of in the, in the way that it talks about things. So, you know, we won't hesitate to say, you know, bring your sunglasses if you don't like, you know, bright overhead light. Um, but you know, yes, you've got to get to this place if you're in Hong Kong for an extended time and you want a really truly authentic um, off the wall kind of experience. If you go on a Friday night. Um, the, the restaurant owner does Elvis karaoke. Um, so, you know, we're, we're very happy to um, recommend that place alongside, you know, the Triple Bar of the Mandarin or, um, you know, a, a beautiful new um, high-end foodie restaurant. So that sort of eclectic nature of Lux is really important. And then maybe finally, I think there is something in that, um, in our editorial style, which is genuinely unique. Um, we have a very arch, sometimes camp, um, sometimes laugh out loud kind of editorial style um, that yeah, wants to in engage people, wants to make them smile, uh, and wants to sound like uh, yeah, how your friends will talk about a place um, in, in unguarded but very particular ways. Uh, you know, there's an awful lot of uh, there's an awful lot of sameness in a lot of writing about destinations. Um, there's an awful lot of sameness about um, you know the, the, the visual recording of destination on Instagram. Um, and yeah, I think uh, really from the beginning, Lux has worked hard to make sure that it's um, not talking and sounding like everybody else, uh, and that. That is the voice of our founder, Grant, who is hilarious and clever and funny. Um, and we, we've worked hard at a kind of papal succession to make sure that um, that voice is really implanted in our editorial. In uh, Shanghai about a year ago, and uh, of course we reviewed the guide to, to give us a few suggestions. And uh, one of them was uh, Brocade Country Shanghai, for just beautiful silk. And uh, there are things about that store that stick in my mind, but really the, the atmosphere around it in the French uh, concession. And uh, I think, you know, your writers captured that. That's, you know, what I always found interesting about Lux is that uh, genius of to dive in, right? So there's, there's sort of that. But then once you do, it's to the point and uh, concise. And I think that sort of leads to, you know, today and, and I, I want to just mention one of the points you make about us sameness in much of the travel writing and, and visual aspects of travel and that's absolutely right a friend of mine in the media world 
refers to it as most of the industry doesn't want to offend anybody. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that, you know, you're, you're not going to change anything if you're <laughs> the same as everybody else. So um, how do you view curation, you know, that business of, of collecting yeah. or, you know, the, the restaurants, how do you view curation in 2020 and then in the next five years? What do you think, Simon? That's, that's a fascinating question. Um, look, I think, um, you know, it'd be interesting to plot the, um, the, the exact rise of the word curation as related to content and as, you know, the zenith of its trendiness. Um, it's, you know, it's a slightly overused word, but um, we do actually probably take the, um, the role of curators quite seriously and quite self-seriously. And I think that there's a couple of things, um, and, you know, to some degree they, they relate to, um, you know, where the word is borrowed from in terms of, you know, art and exhibition um, uh, and, and, mu and museum work. But I, I think, um, you know, you, you want in a, in a well-curated experience, in whether that's a guide, whether that's a... Um, you know, warehouse space full of art. You, you, you want, you, you certainly want a kind of idiosyncratic personal view of the world. So again, it goes back to this idea of who you trust. Um, you know, you want a strong voice, you want a strong opinion. That doesn't mean that every single thing that that person expresses an opinion about you will agree with, um, but it is differentiated, it is, it is strongly felt, um, it is prepared to call out a place that is, um, you know, overhyped or too trendy. Um, it is prepared to, um, to say that, uh, yeah, a place has gone off or, um, you know, um, um, you know, that customer service is, is great, but clearly the chef's change and the food's not as good. So um, it, 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 is a, it is about, um, it's about having a strong individual view of the world. Um, and that, that goes also then to the second point about then what is curated. Um, and I think that sort of, that mix of things. I mean, in a good exhibition, you will, it's often juxtapositions that make you think differently about two pieces of work um, on the walls. Uh, so, you know, how, how does the overall guide feel? And, and actually one of the sort of funnest bits of, of Lux, I don't know if it's not really a word, but, um, you know, actually the, the move from print to digital um, to some degree takes the, the pressure off this absolute finite number of recommendations that you can make um, to a place. We, we try and hold ourselves to, to not making the, the digital guides, you know, therefore lazier or longer. Um, but yes, you know, when you're putting a new edition of a print guide to, to, uh, to, to print, the, the conversations about, is this in, is this out, is this um, particular neighborhood balanced enough, is, is the mix of, you know, shopping that's just you know gone off the planet with all the openings openings of these new boutique malls is that is that well balanced with um spa and wellness or whatever so so i think cura curation also goes to um the mix and juxtaposition of the things that you're that you're recommending i, I think in terms of um you know curation today versus um curation in the future uh, i mean i, I I, I certainly think 
I certainly believe, and I and I and I and I and I think it will continue to be the same. That um, you know, as the internet has proliferated, as any number of people can can share their own views um, amongst their peers, amongst their group of trusted friends, with crowdsourced platforms like um, like TripAdvisor. On on some level, you know, two things are happening. One is that um, they're that these these sort of social groups are replacing expert curators, perhaps, um, but actually they're just creating more noise, more volume, and you know, for, for, for I think I feel like it's the tide. You know, for every wave that comes in, a wave goes out, and um, you know, I, I believe there will always be a strong need for people who only curate and only do this kind of stuff, who are genuinely experts, who can call through through a long expertise the difference between good and bad. Um, I think there will always be the need for it. Um, and I think that goes to sort of, you know, these, these, this question of who you trust. Uh, I mean, I think TripAdvisor's got a little bit better at that, but, um, you know, certainly in the first few years of TripAdvisor, you know, I had no idea who I was listening to. And, um, you know, the, the, the views of... Um, the views of someone from a different culture to me, the views of someone with, you know, different life stage to me, the views of someone with different, you know, tastes to me, they're just really not relevant. Uh, so I want, cura- I want curated recommendations from someone I trust. Um, I, I think in the future, um, I, I, I think that we'll just curate, we'll, we'll, we'll have to curate um, using not different criteria, but extended criteria. And I do think that for a period, and for probably quite a long period, um, there will be a massively sort of practical element to um, what is sort of going to work for people when they travel um and obviously that sort of that will go to um you know the, the practical question of which places are open and which places are uh, you know have, have closed or not made not made the um, not made the, the, the cut in a harsh economic climate but but also the sort of micro detail of you know well what is this hotel's cleaning policy what is this restaurant's social distancing policy um, you know what <laughs> you know just will this bar require me to wear a mask I don't want to wear a mask you know all, all of those kinds of things I think they'll just be there will be um, uh, a very um, yeah hi- hyper extended um, need for curated content about a sort of you know the post post covid world or the world in which we're all having to to work out how to how to live as safely as possible without curtailing our uh, appetites and freedoms um but i don't i don't actually believe i think in some ways my view is that there'll be a resurgence in uh uh not necessarily brick and mortar travel agencies but i think people will use um intermediaries a little bit more for a period you know, because the days of just, you know, searching online and booking, um, that that will still happen, obviously, but I, I do think there'll be a sort of, especially towards the top end of the market, there'll be a desire for a filter of, um, I want to be really sure that my children are safe, or, um, you know, I, I want to really understand the nuance of um, safety in this particular location. So I do wonder whether or not um, sort of travel designers, travel consultants, sorry, you know, high-end travel agents, or concierge services will when things open up again, have a bit right. of I don't know what you think about that. Thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I can see it. I, I think the, the trick in any of that 
is how good is the data? No, and we're, and we're asking that question of ourselves. I mean, we have an infrastructure globally um, in these resident editors, um, but it's a slightly different skill set to, you know, to be able <laughs> yes. to call yes. you know, the excellence of this restaurant versus that restaurant and to yeah, have a fine, um, a finely combed uh, attention to detail on um, opening hours and all of that kind of stuff. To be honest, you know, we, we mix those two things. I mean, our, our, um, our curation, um, the, the curation that we require from our resident editors, one of the, uh, this may or may not be transparent to you, but um, we, we, we use those resident editors purely for um, the curatorial recommendation and for flavor and, and they give us notes, they give us um, detailed descriptions, we ask them to follow up on things. But um, actually, we don't outsource the final decision to them. We don't outsource the fact checking to them. We actually don't outsource the writing to them. We do all of that in house and that's very tightly controlled. Um, so uh, it's interesting, you know, having, having run um, the Lonely Planet machine for, for a number of years, that was all about how do you make the process of putting a guide together as efficient as possible. And um, Lonely Planet writers were, you know, effectively that they had to submit highly detailed, um, mapped, fact-checked, um, finished manuscripts effectively, which were then edited and laid out and, um, and, and sort of put into cartographic databases by the, by the Lonely Planet team. But actually it's the opposite model um, for, for Lux. We, we really care that those people are, they're actually, traditionally they're not travel writers, our, our resident editors, they're people who have, they've got their own um, lives um, and actually <laughs> they've got their own money. Uh, so they are, they're out and about, you know, um, living the Lux life on their own dollar, uh, but they have the passion and the desire to share it for, um, for altruistic or for, um, I mean, we pay them, but, you know, either they, they also just care enough to want to share it or, or there are some other sort of tangential benefits to them. But, um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that, I don't think that model of curation of, of both making sure that facts are as, sort of accurate as possible but also um, that there's still that strong curatorial filter that, that that will persist as the world writes itself I think. And since it was announced just I think today or yesterday that Facebook is jumping into commerce uh, not surprising yeah. um, an inner shop or a restaurant anywhere online experiences at least for the near term are very important to survival. Um, how would you how would you build your atomic and digital experience? Yes. Well, how would you, how would you do that? Yes, it's interesting. I, I kind of, to some degree, I mean, we're small, so we, 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 we haven't been able to, you know, terrible word pivot to, you know, end, endless um, descriptions of how we spend our days and, you know, our favorite cashmere blankets and, uh, you know, what, what our, athletic wear um, outfits are, you know, for our Zoom meetings. But, you know, my sense is that actually, um, you know, that there, there was a surfeit of digital content before um, on the world, and now there's a surfeit of digital content on everybody's experience while they're not in the world. Um, so, yes, you know, for, 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 for 
I, I, I could clearly spend all day, every day, all night, every night um, doing online yoga classes. So, so you know, I, I kind of, I, I, of course, you know, the, the online extension and interaction for, um, uh, for, for Lux is going to be, you know, even more important in the new world. But, but to be honest, um, it, it's, uh, I, I still feel like we, what we need to do as a business actually is tackle it um, mostly from the business model point of view. I, I think the, um, you know, we, we actually don't have a lot of in quotes free content on our website. We, we, we publish articles, um, maybe three or four a week. Uh, you know, we engage with our readers on, uh, with, with um, uh, uh, regular newsletters, etc. But and on, and on on social media to a degree. But but actually, we are we are most interested in 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 making sure people have really well qualified experiences in destination with our with our um, with our apps. Um, I think that the question that was sort of um, posed to us really before COVID and and is brought into sharper focus with COVID is well. Um, have we got that mix of free and paid right? Have we got that mix of engagement and kind of self-service um, in destination right? And I think, yes, we will. You, you will see over the coming months um, more, um, a more aggressive um, output of um, more inspirational content, more engagement with, um, more direct engagement with our travellers. Um, and to some degree, it's possible that we will also, um, you know, you, you talk about a kind of um, digital experience, but actually I think we'll also, um, we're looking at whether or not we do partner with um, offline uh, um, concierge type services to, um, to actually then extend that, that more personal touch um, to, to, to people as they make you know, big decisions financially, but also now big decisions in terms of um, relative safety um, in the in the trips they put together. Deeper. What's your view of trust and discovery today and tomorrow? Yes. Look. I how, mean, do you, how do they discover? You know, the the interesting places that you work at. Yeah. Yes. Look, I, I think there's a couple of things here. I, I think that um, clearly, for a period, I think you know this idea of the backyard is going to be very important. Um, you know, what have I got left to discover that's, you know, close to me or, um, you know, within my own state or within my own country. Um, I was interested, I don't know if you saw this week that, you know, Condé Nast um, traveler just did a great piece on, um, you know, the UK's um, coolest neighborhoods. And they particularly took a kind of North of England and non-London um, view of that. Um, now, as someone who grew up in the UK, you know, I, I lived there until I was um, in my twenties. I, I go back, you know, very, very frequently. I know, you know, I've been, I've travelled a lot in in the UK. I would say that over half of those neighbourhoods in, you know, actually named neighbourhoods in in some of the cities that they were mentioning, Manchester, Liverpool, Chester, um, Sheffield, they were neighbourhoods whose name I did not know, um, and. You know whether or not <laughs> I can go to this um, neighbourhood in in Manchester and truly spend two or three days there, or three or four days there, or whether or not I'll just go to the, you know, 
two interesting coffee shops and one nice, um, you know, bespoke brewery. I, I don't know, but it, it fascinated me that I was really being told something um, about my own place, uh, my own place of, of birth and origin that I didn't know. So I think that kind of the art of discovery in the backyard will be very important. I think the other thing that's um, going to be fascinating yeah, and yeah. worrying is actually this, who wants to be discovered? Um, you know, we, we think of we think of travellers, you know, just all about what, <laughs> how we consume. Um, but I do think that there are going to be um, pockets of the world that will become more insular and will be much less interested in being discovered. Um, and we also know that, you know, in, in a macro sense, there will be one of the risks of um, the next few years is that there will be um, actually, you know, there will be there will be more division between cultures um, that is fomented as a way of sort of distracting uh, people from, um, you know, self-created catastrophes. <laughs> um, and, I, and, I, and I think, you know, I was thinking about this actually um, uh, today. The, you know, clearly say in Europe, um, you know, there's a very strong drive for some destinations that economies very reliant on tourism like Greece, Spain. Um, to reopen, to re-engage, to find these travel bubbles um, where people can, um, in quotes, slightly more safely travel around. Um, but I don't think even in a place like the Mediterranean that's going to be uniform. Um, but I was thinking that actually maybe coastal places are, who, who always had a, a bit more of a history of um, people coming um, to escape, uh, you know, so 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 co coastal travel or destinations versus city destinations. Um, but actually, I think the interesting one will be the sort of um, country destinations and remoteness, because there's lots of evidence in um, places like Australia, um, to some degree in in the UK. I don't know what it's like in the US, but I think there are rural communities um, uh, and even communities where there are strong sort of pockets of second home ownership where you might think that some of those people are actually considered quasi-local um you know that there's there's anxiety fear um you know it, it, you know people sort of concerned about i suppose these metropolitan elites um you know swanning around with their viruses um so i, I think it'll be interesting to see those places that that become a little bit more closed and actually don't want to be discovered uh, and I think one of the things for me personally you know that, that has always been uh, a driver for me in travel is that I, I yes I love finding that um, that restaurant in Paris or in San Francisco that is genuinely a neighborhood restaurant and that is there's absolutely no other tourists there um, yes I love finding the you know you talk about Shanghai I was remembering um, there's a fantastic um, little boutique hotel in an old um, Corbusier-designed villa behind lots of tower blocks called Number Nine in Shanghai. Um, I read about it in an art magazine. Um, they would—they were so concerned about becoming too well known that they didn't give the address or any contact details. So I actually wrote to the editor of this bilingual Japanese and English art magazine. So you know, pushing myself to sort of find those things in cities um, it, it is part of what gives me the buzz personally and why I'm involved, involved in LUTs but for me also I have to say um, I love you know 
discovering places that are much much less visited you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm very attracted to remote places my my own travel sort of cv started with um trips into um uh you know you know the nowhere parts of countries like uh, you know, as 18, I went to southern Lebanon. I was 19, I went to, um, you know, the, the hills in northern Peru and then on to Iquitos in, by the Amazon, you know. So northern, you know, when I lived in Australia, the, the place I, I came to absolutely love was the Kimberley and, and um, northern territories, those very, very, very remote parts of Australia. So um, I, yes, I, I hope that those places don't, don't become moral. Um, inaccessible because of COVID and because of um, because they can in some ways because they're so difficult to get to they can just sort of make it um, more difficult for people to get to. <laughs> um, but for me I always want to get I always want to get to those whether they're remote within a city context or, 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 or less discovered or physically remote um, I still think that is the art of discovery it's been a pleasure thank you for your time today Simon That's wonderful.